Corner store philosophy, wine prophets who probably felt the greatest hide and chased that dragon into poverty, inherited a lower self-esteem and a lack of knowledge, got they refund checks and turned they back to college. Who needs a degree to survive in these streets? Weather 400 degrees, juveniles chasing dreams, hustling harder for smaller returns. They call it life shit. We live and we learn. What's up, world? It's JP1, a.k.a. Jackpot the Chosen One, representing Detroit to the fullest. Right now, you politicking with Poe on Poe Politicking. Let's get it. PoePolitikin.com Welcome back to Poe Politicking. We're now politicking with the homie Philip Buchanan. And Philip is a 10-year NFL veteran. He played for the Raiders, the Lions, the Bucks, the Redskins, college ball. He played for the U. He has a new book called New Money, Staying Rich. He also has a board game that he's promoting through Kickstarter that's crowdsourcing. So, welcome to the show, homie. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, Paul, man. You know, it's a pleasure to be on here. You know, so I'm looking forward to the interesting questions that you know we have. So, uh, let's get this thing rolling. Cool, man. So, speaking of interesting questions, you probably never heard this question before. I was going to ask you, I don't know if you know about, like, you know, Madden, man. Like, they actually, you know, you was always nice on Madden, man. And actually, like, on Madden, you was, like, one of the best players to get as a franchise player because, you know, franchise, we can keep you because they always had you, like, hella fast on the game. So what you thought about how they had you on Madden? Oh, I mean, like, like for me, just being on a, on a video game is definitely a blessing. And, and you know, and um, most of that stuff came from, you know, like my earlier times playing, you know, playing the Raiders. And, you know, I was turning kicks and interceptions back for touchdowns. And I was billed as a fast player, too, around that time as well. So, for me, it was definitely an honor. I mean, because it's a lot of a lot of high school players or part one of like little league players. They always have a they, they have a vision or a dream of being on a video game, and and that was definitely a blessing for me. All right, then I want you to talk about some of your daily habits and rituals you got. Oh, for me, like my my daily habits are pretty much for me. Like what I try to do, I try to get to bed a little early, but normally I'm more of like a I'm normally like a night owl, so I mean, because that's where most of my ideas really come from late night, in between that 1 to 3 o'clock in the morning. People always say there's nothing good going on at the 12 a.m. in the morning, but for me, I kind of disagree with that. As long as you're in a in a solid foundation or at home and everything is cool, I think you're pretty much good now. Now, if you're out and about, it's a different story. But for me, I'm very creative in between that 1 to 3, and then uh, I try to wake up in the morning. I try to I try to read for about 30 minutes to an hour. I try to meditate a little bit, and then I start to try to figure out all the things I need to get done throughout the day. So whether that's checking emails, that's trying to get stuff done, meeting people, I'm trying to connect with people, trying to get advice, trying to find new mentors, and trying to find new partners, and throughout the day, and then I try to, and then I try to figure out some time, you know, like where I can actually just relax, you know, once I get done with that. And if I'm able to do something very simple as far as workout, I try to work, I try to work in a workout regimen, like something just riding a bike or something, just something real simple to kind of, you know, help me ease my mind and help me to kind of keep my um, creative flow going. But I, other than that, I mean, like, you know, then from time to time I'll hang out a little bit with some of my, some of my college teammates, like uh, Brian McKinney or hang, or hang out with Ed and James and stuff like that, some of those guys that who are very versed into their lane as far as business and just hanging out and, you know, just you know, kind of doing their own thing. All right. And speaking of college, I wanted you, like I said, you played with a, that was like a dream team. Everybody I had on that team, I know you had Ray Lewis, you had Ed Reed, you had Ken Dorsey, you had uh, Will Ford, Andre Johnson too, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 had all those guys other than Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis was a little bit older. Now. Okay. Ray Lewis was, you know, yeah. So other than that, you Clint Portis, Jeremy Shockey, Brian McKinney, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, Sean Taylor. I mean, the name going Jonathan Zimmerman. I can name a lot of guys. Like the team that we had, we had a we had a great group of guys that had the perfect personality to make things happen. And we also had good coaches, too, as well. So it wasn't just players. We had Curtis Johnson. We had Stoops. We had Greg Ciano. We had Butch Davis. Uh, you know, I mean, we had a lot of uh, Chuck Pagano. So we, we had a lot of good coaches as well. So it just kind of the nucleus, you know, just putting all that stuff together, just kind of it worked out. And, you know, we, we created something special as far as uh, 17 first-rounders from – from that 2002 national championship team, and, and you know, and just it was it was an awesome time, man. I I really enjoyed it, and, and I would do it all over again. Huh. And then, like, cause I'm more I'm more want to focus on the book, but you know, still we gotta talk about the the football a little bit. So I just want you to, I know it might be difficult, but if you can, just kind of like summarize your NFL experience and and I guess us give us like what you learned the most during your time in the NFL. For me, like man, my, my NFL career for me, it was it was definitely a blessing from me trying to make it there. It didn't really turn out the way I wanted to turn out. It was some things that just didn't happen. But you know, I got drafted in the first round. That was one of my goals, and I got drafted in the first round. And I went to Oakland. Oakland was good um, for the, for the most part. It could have been better. It was just um, from a team standpoint, things just didn't really work out as far as working together and not having the right nucleus of coaches understanding, you know, understanding football and not really having guys that who were we had more players in Oakland that who led by example. They you know, you know like so they, they weren't they weren't real leaders as far as grabbing you, like let's go, let's go do this. So it was it was a little different for me, you know, opposed to college because we did everything together, we were working so it was different environment in Oakland. And so I thought things would be a lot better, like by going somewhere. So I went to Houston, which I love the city of Houston. I really love the city of Houston. I hated the football stuff. You like I didn't know what was going on. Um, it just in general, it was just, it was just a bad situation all around. They just overworked. They they overworked us. Overworked me. It just you know it, it's hard to be in a situation where people don't really understand what they're really doing, and you know, and they're trying their best. It just it just wasn't working. And just for Houston, no, in Houston. So that was a that kind of messed up my big deal as far as contracts. So like when I went there, it messed up a lot of stuff. And then from there. I got released, and then I went to Tampa. Tampa, I love being back in Florida. Tampa was a good situation. I love the coaching. And when I went to Tampa, I was like, this is football. This is what coaching, this is what players do. You know, like you had, you know, you had veteran players like their books around their barber. They were, they, were, they were leading my example, and they were also grabbing the young players and saying, look, let's go do this, let's do that. They were talking, they were teaching. The coaches were good. It was almost kind of like being back in Miami for, for, for the most part, but these guys were a little bit more advanced, at least from, at least from the defense perspective. So uh, from that, from Monty Kiffin to Ryan Morris and uh, Mike Thomas had just left, you know, I think he left like 2005 or something like that. So they had a very good group of coaches that worked very well together along with a lot of good veteran players. And I feel comfortable there. And, you know, it was, it, it was a mindset. It was a mindset and the way they taught tackling, the way they went over certain stuff, tactics for the game, you know, from the way we broke stuff down at halftime, it was, it was just, it just, I mean, actually, from the way, we, the way we broke down stuff during the game, it was like, you know, let's change up the switch stuff. I was like, they really knew what they were doing. So I, I really loved playing in Tampa. I thought my career would be 
I, I thought I would end my career in Tampa, but when Gruden got fired, everything went kind of haywire, and, and then I um, went to Detroit, and Detroit was very similar to Houston. Um, the city was good. I met a lot of good people, other than being cold and stuff like that, but the football stuff is just messed up. It was all just messed up. And then I mean, I'm doing like Houston. I went from Detroit to Washington. And then Washington, um, it, it was a situation where Washington was still trying to find their identity. Shanahan is a great coach. Like, I love Shanahan. I mean, he, he's approach to doing everything on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, things didn't work out in Washington. But, you know, we were still trying to find our way through on defense. And it was just was, it was almost kind of like on defense. It was kind of like being in Houston, kind of like being in Detroit. But it, wasn't, but it wasn't as bad as Detroit. But it was, you know, still trying to find your way and figure it out, not really having a real true identity. So that's kind of my career. My career has been a little bit of growing up, being in some uh, really, really different situations. I won't say difficult, but just different situations. I'll probably say the worst situation I handled was probably in Houston, but I was injured and I was young. And, you know, I was just like, man, y'all don't know what y'all doing. So, like, it was just surreal. So I know how to deal with other stuff. But, you know, for, for, the, for the most part, like I said, I'm blessed. I played 10 years. And, you know, a lot of guys don't get a chance to play that long. So, for me, it was it was great. And now I'm just building outside of um, after football, outside of football, after football. So, I'm just building uh, building into all of my business stuff right now. Yeah, I would say, um, so I just want to get your opinion on this. Like, you remember how Kanye had that song, New Slaves? So, if you look like college players, like how they don't get paid, or even like pro players, like you get all this money, but you can't say nothing about any issues that are going on. So, it's kind of like... The new slaves are the entertainers and the athletes. Do you feel that way or not really? Oh, I mean, for, for the for the most part, I mean, I, I don't I don't really know a whole lot about that part as far as saying new slaves. But I mean, it is a job, you know what I'm saying? So there's certain things you can't do and you can't say. Yeah. And I really do think the idea of college players being paid because some college players don't have a chance to play in the NFL. So for them to get something out of the pie, I mean, that makes sense. The, the, all these universities are getting paid millions and millions, if not close to billions of dollars, and they're not paying the players or paying any any of the athletes, you know, which they say student-athletes, you know what I'm saying, but they're making money off of these student-athletes. But I think they should be compensated. And, and, and then if you ask me, I think I think if you, you should take it back, and if anybody else who played in college football and if they had a major impact on the bottom line of numbers, they should try to figure out a way to make sure that they pay those players. You know, particularly you know myself being in Miami, and we won that, we won that championship, and we went to the BCS Bowl. I mean, I think we should get some conversations. I mean, I don't know how all that would work out, but I'm just saying in general, I think you should try to figure something out. But back to the whole slavery, the slavery thing. I mean, it yeah. depends on how you look at it. You know, the person that who is giving you the money actually has control of the rules. So there's certain things you can't do. So if there's certain things you can't do, you can't say, you can't speak out on, that's because, you know, you can't do that because you're going against what they're trying to do, and right now they're paying you. Yeah, I would say, I think... Instead, you get fired. Yeah. yeah, I said, I think they even had a documentary about, I think the documentary was called, like, Million Dollar Slaves, because they were saying, like, basically, they take your voice away. Like, you can't say, like you just said, they can't. you can't say nothing about no issues. Like Jordan. Jordan had all that money, but he never really said nothing about nothing, you know. So it's like they take away – you don't have, like, Muhammad Ali no more. You don't never have nobody like that no more. You don't have nobody to just really stand up as an athlete anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing about the whole Muhammad Ali, the whole Muhammad Ali thing was Muhammad Ali, although when he when he got paid and got money, he still lived in the neighborhood with it. Now it's a little different because, they, you know, they, you, you get paid so much, more, so much more money, 
and you don't live in that same environment. So it's hard for you to kind of really, it, it, it's hard for certain players or certain people in general to to totally sit there and relate because they're like, well, I'm over here sitting, you know, in this nice area and everything's good over here. I don't have to worry about it, deal with all those issues because I'm not living there. But when you're living there, you have to deal with those issues, and then now you fight for those issues. So it's, it's a different time frame, you know, like this, you know, some things have changed, and as far as, like, you know, we did this, now we got to do things to kind of make it a little bit more better. So I, I don't know the reasoning behind it, but uh, there's a lot of things that are not fair. I mean, most definitely not fair, but, you know, the, like they say, the person there who they who have the gold or the riches or whatever it is, like they control the rules in the world. So that's kind of what's going on with the situation with that. Okay. And then I want you to talk about your book. I want you to talk about, um, you know, new new money, staying rich. So I want you to talk about what motivated you to write it first and then talk about the look, the book a little bit. When I got hurt and I was trying to figure out what my next move was, trying to get surgery, and you know, after when I was playing with uh, the Redskins, at the torn labrum, and they were saying that it was it was fine or what it was, but then it was completely torn, so I had so I had a surgery. So during that time, I decided to go back to the University of Miami and finish my degree. And when I went back, I met with some professors, and we had a nice long talk. And as I was finishing my classes, we were talking in general. And then one of my professors, which is uh, Dr. Garan, who passed maybe like probably about three or four years ago. And he said, uh, somebody should write a book. You know, like, why don't you write a book about your experiences, you know, dealing with the NFL? And so, at, you know, like, at first I was like, man, I, I really don't want to write no book. You know, like, decided I really didn't want to do it because I wasn't really, that wasn't my thought. I, was, I wasn't kind of ingrained in thinking like that. And so my aunt told me, who lives in Miami, who I lived with in college, she said, yeah, you should really write a book. You know, and then my best friend who was with me, like, early, you know, throughout my early days in the face, said, yeah, man, you should really write the book. So, a lot of people kept telling me to write a book, and when I took my English class, my English course, Dr. Durant, he, he said, I want people to write about unique stories. And so I wrote about my robbery story, and then I wrote about how my uncle who had passed away, stuff like that. And those two stories are actually in my book. You know, So that kind of got me started on really doing the New Money Staying Rich book. So about me being robbed from friends who I grew up with, you know, you know, which I call them historical friends, you know, because the difference between historical friends fun friends and true friends. You know, historical friends are friends you grew up with and it doesn't really mean that they're really a true friend. You can meet a true friend today, you can meet a true friend a month from now, you probably met him a year ago. If he's true, he brings value to you. A fun friend a fun friend helps you helps you spend money. So that that's kinda of what that whole that whole kind of friends thing was. And then my uncle who was there, you know, who chose the wrong profession but pretty much, you know, he sold drugs and so like that, but he provided for the family. And so that's kinda of how I those, those were the two stories that kind of helped me to start to write the book. And really, I just thought it was a good way because my uncle always gave back and helped out with people. My mom always did that. And even though in my in my book, I talk about a story about my mom who demanded a million dollars, that's normal in the hood. So your mom, your mom, your uncle, everybody asks for money. But I guess, you know, like the media blew it out of a portion. But, you know, it, it is what it is. So I'm not mad about it. I mean, I love my mom. You know, you're... You only have one mom. I just explain the story, and in the book, I was just trying to say like, these are things that could happen to you. Not all these things will happen to you, but if they do happen to you, you'll be more prepared because I'm putting it in the book. So I'm trying to help you to kind of weave through it, you know, so you so you know how to handle certain situations when it comes to money and family, money and friends, money and bad business deals, and brokers who make you broker and financial molesters. You know, like all these. 
all these uh, crooks with these uh, suits and ties on, you know, and they're kind of fumbling with your account. So that's why I call it a bunch of us. And so that, and that's really the whole idea. It probably took me about a year, and I just self-published it and kind of went from there, and I just went back and forth with different stuff, and I created the book. And really, I, I wasn't looking for any any gain to be a millionaire or, you know, to make a lot of money. I just was sharing my story, and I'm trying to help, you know, other kids that who, are, who are actually in my position to understand how to handle this money because I didn't know how to handle the money. And so that was the reason behind it. Yeah, and I would say I know you have the Kickstarter for the board game. Yeah, yeah, and then um, the Kickstarter for the board game is really, it's derived or it comes from my book. And so I already kind of had an idea of doing a board game. And so since I was writing my book, I decided to go ahead and do the board game. Almost like similar to, it's not like Monopoly, but kind of close. It's not, it's, it's similar to Monopoly as far as like playing the game, playing like the board game, kind of like that. It's like cash flow, Monopoly, or, and then the rich dad, poor dad kind of board game. And so... Really, you know, like the whole thing with the game is, you know, everybody starts out with 200000 and you roll the dice, and the highest person, well, the, the, the person that rolled both the dice who gets the highest number, they pick their character card, but the character card is a face down. And so some of the character cards are actually uh, CEO, lucky investor, model, lottery winner, inheriting some of the person who actually inherits money, pro athlete, movie star, and musician. And so there's certain things in the cards that you have to do in order to win the game. And certain people can block you. You know, you may have to pay the person next to you, like, you know, to your left or to your right. But just in general, so most of the stuff in my book is kind of like I put it into the board game, and that's kind of how I do it. So if you read my book and you play the board game, you say, oh, yeah, I remember that from reading the book. So kind of, so they kind of tie into each other as well. I'm also working on a um, gaming app, too, as well. So I'm working on that, and that'll, that, that'll kind of help so people can start focusing and doing things, you know, because everything is on your phone right now. So I'm doing that, too. But that'll probably be, I'll probably have that probably maybe in uh, June or July or something like that for the iPhone, and then maybe the Android will probably be ready for the, uh, probably be ready in August. So that, but really the board game is just something I just kind of bumped into, just like the book, and I just thought it was cool for kids to kind of understand, know how to handle your money. So like I say, you start out with 20000 and then you go through all, you know, and then you have some cards that'll say, find it to molester, you know, like even, you know, he got paid and you got played. You paid 200k to the bank. Uh, you decided to pass on a deal, good move. So depending on the dice you roll in the game, if you roll an odd, that means that you were smart. Now, if you roll even, you got played. So that just that's realistically on what on the things that will happen to you if you get a lot of money. So I just try to make that. And then the title of the card is called Financial Molester. Yeah, no, I, I just told you know, yeah, so I kind of explained the whole financial molester. I was gonna but say, I, I was gonna say, so you uh like how you have the names for everything, you <laughs> you created all that because I think that's very clever how you have like certain things, like the names you have for certain themes and stuff. That's very, I like that, man. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so like I said, man, I, I can't just take credit of everything, uh, but that's why, like, when you have a good team and stuff like that, like you know. Uh, guys like uh, Darren Smith, who's at NYU, uh, Wilfred Rivera, who's down here teaching right here in Miami, Jonathan Nash, and uh, Andre Monsanto in Houston, in Texas, and Nick Monsanto in Austin right now. So those are like those are the guys that I kind of think of stuff just from a perspective of just being a friend and stuff like that. And these are guys that just give me that they just give me feedback and information on things that I'm doing. So and, uh, and it's just a privilege just to kind of have those guys around and stuff like that when I need to get some feedback from them. Hey, I'll. I'll- I was gonna say, uh, but like, like how you saying in the game twenty thousand. I mean, but like, what if somebody got like five hundred or thousand? You know, what can they do with that? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, but like, but pretty much in the game, you had you had to pay two hundred thousand to the bank. Oh. No, I'm saying I'm just saying in real life in general. Like, let's say somebody got like a little come up money. What would you say they should do with it? Um, it depends on what you see, like a couple like, G's, whole, like a couple G's. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah, yeah. No, see, like, see, the whole thing about that too is, in order for you to make a lot of money, or in order for you to get on track to doing good things, you gotta start hanging around. You gotta start hanging around those people. Mm. Like I said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You know what I'm saying? So the thing is. You would want to try to link up with people that you wouldn't mind trading places with. When I said well, link up with them, you got to force your way into their life by let me take you out to eat, right? Mm-hmm. Or let me do something. Let me talk to you. Let me pick your brain. What are you doing? And then once you do that, you got to pick about three to maybe five guys that who are in your city, and you just kind of choose that and, get, and pick their brain and information, and then they'll kind of help you to find your lane, you know? Like So the whole thing is find your niche, and then you'll get rich. And so you know, once you find your lane, you know, then you'll be okay. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you some tips on staying rich, but you you kind of went into it, so. <laughs> All right. So I was going to say, what are, what are some of your favorite books? Because I hear you was talking about you, you read for 30 minutes every day, 30 minutes to an hour, so what are some of your favorite books? Man, some of my favorite books, and let me think off the top of my head right now. Uh, one of the books is Richard King. I like the tipping point. Oh, what's the other one? Oh. Sun Tzu for success. I even like that 50 Cent book by Robert Greene, 50 Power Law. Uh, what's the other one that I like? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a couple of books that I like. Those are just some, just some of the names. The Millionaire Next Door. I read that one. And I actually like Setting the Table, which is like it's a, it's a, it's a way of kind of how to manage people setting the table. It's about the guy that started the company. I can't think of the hamburger company right now. Uh, I can't. I, I can't think of the name right now. But no. But he started the company. Um, and just his his little his little nuggets of education and knowledge is just so powerful, so key. So that um, just ran across a book too. that's called The Fabulous of Fortunes. I also read a book which is uh, called Negotiating Like a Pro. And this other book I just ran across, which is called. The Road Less Travel. That's an interesting book. It talks about love. It talks about everything and the perspective of how love was pushed on us. And man, it's crazy. Like it's just the, you know just the way how people think about certain things. I think that's a very unique book. You know, the Road Less Travel. I think a lot of people should read that book. And then, um, have you always like been like this on this path, on the self help path, or did you like catch the bug? Because I know I caught the bug probably like I would say like ten years, like eleven, twelve years ago. When did you say you caught the bug, or did you always have it? I was always an interesting type of guy when I was young. I was very quiet, very, I guess you can say, kind of shy from a standpoint of not really speaking a lot. Now I speak a lot more now as people kind of be around me like, man, you speak a lot more. I don't even know you don't speak a lot because I play a lot of sports. And so I just really play sports, and I just try to stay out of trouble. And I would listen to my uncles, and they would tell me to do this and do that. So they told me, like, don't talk about that. Like, you got to start prove yourself first. You know, and then you can talk. So that was kind of my motto. That's why I didn't really talk a lot. But uh, for me, I was always an interesting guy from, like, I love learning. I love reading. I used to draw a lot when I was young. Uh, I was always a guy that I was trying to figure out ways to do what other people weren't doing. And whether that was training, whether that was trying to do certain things. And when I first got my money, it was kind of hard because I was trying to find the right people. And 
which I thought were the right people, they were the wrong people. So I was losing money and doing different things. But then eventually I found my way by just trying to self-educate myself. And, and I bumped into a lot of the right people like uh, Gary Shipman in Detroit, you know, Jonathan who's in California, and just other different people that who helped me out. And then, like, just talking to Edwin James, she's, which is who's a few years removed from me, but, you know, and stuff like just in general, just talking to, like, a bunch of the business people that who have had and went through some of the things that I've actually went through and just know how to deal with money in general. So, right. and I think this I always asks the uh, the rappers this question. I think this is an interesting question for you, though. All right, so which one is more important to you, money, fame, or love? <sighs> money, fame, or love? Love is genuine. Love can't pay bills. I'm just being realistic. <laughs> you, know, you, you gotta pay bills. Fame can generate some money if you need it. It can get you certain things that you want. But money also gives you freedom to do whatever you want when you want to do it. And you don't have to, and you, you can just turn down things you have to do. I like the idea of being able to do what I want to do. So it's kind of a tricky question, but I'm just gonna lean and say Man, I'll probably say money because I love creating things anyway, so I'll probably say money for right now. But then if you ask me next week, it'll probably say, you know, I'll, I'll probably say fame, and, you know, and then and they'll probably follow me. I'll probably say love. Who knows? I say you, you're, the first, <laughs> you're the first person to say money. Everybody always says love. All, see, I said all, I guess it's perspective because all the rappers always say love, but it's perspective. Yeah, but I mean, but at the same time, you understand everybody's situation. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's what I'm saying. But right now, but yeah, yeah. Some guys probably have a lot of money, so it's like, oh, all, all I want is love. But right some guys <laughs> have a fame, and you know, I did with the fame. I'm just looking for love because I got fame and money, so I want love. So it depends on where you're at in your, I guess, like in your life. So for me, it's just more so like I, I like the idea of having money because I can help people as well. You know, like I said, I, I like the idea of doing what I want to do. So and then you know, I mean, because money. Money can help you find love. I mean, it's sad and tr it, it's crazy. I mean, <laughs> uh, crazy. Oh, real shit, huh? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, real. I mean, so just depending on how you look at it, I mean, it can help with love because, you know, some people fall in love with you because you got money. And if it's right, it's right as long as you cross your, you know, cross your, your T's and dot your I's and, you know, protect your money, you're going to be all right. <laughs> All right, and then um, like so, like I got a cousin, man. My cousin pretty nice, man. He's like uh six three two fifty, you know, senior in high school. So I think he might end up, you know, might end up going to the league one day, like you were saying. And you want people in that position to hear your advice. So what would you tell him? Man, I would say for one, believe in yourself. But that was one of the biggest things that I did. Like before, like one time. I walked around high school like I was a millionaire, and then once I got to the University of Miami, I my my whole goal was to be there for two and a half years, and I said like I'm leaving, you know, so like I'm going first round. So you gotta believe in yourself, but not only when you believe in yourself, you gotta put in the work. So that's the first step. I would say the next step after that is making sure that you try to, which it'll be hard for you while you're in college because you're working out and doing different things, is make sure that you have more true friends than funny friends and historical friends in your circle. People that who bring and add value to you. Those are the people you need. People that who are not gonna be just taking, people who are gonna be adding, people who are gonna give you advice, stuff like that. So that's two. So make sure you have that because that's the foundation that helps you. Uh, that's, that's the foundation that will definitely help you. The third one can really trump everything else for the most part is really mentors. 
if you have the right mentors on knowing how to handle football, how to handle business and, and handle your money, like they can help you find your lane and help you stay out of trouble and they can give you great insight. So you need that sounding board to talk to someone. So, you know, believing in yourself is the first one. You know, just making sure that you have the right true friends around you. It's not the right, but just having true friends around you and mentors. I think those are just the, the basic kind of, you know, the whole basis of him just, you know, so he can be successful in general. But mentors trump all of that. Like if you got the right mentors, man, the sky's the limit. Well, actually, man, it's, you, it's, you can do so many things. It, it's crazy. Hmm. How, you, 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 I guess you said it, man, but I, it's kind of important that we kind of repeat it and rehash it. So how can they find mentors? Like, what, what would be one of the first steps? Uh, one, of the, one of the first steps is don't be afraid to reach out. You know, like one of the biggest things that a lot of athletes and football players do, well, I would say not just, just athletes in general, just growing up, particularly in the hood, in the city, is we get so caught up and we don't want to ask for help. Like, it's okay to ask for help. I mean, some people are going to be too busy. Some people are going to say no. No sense for next opportunity. It might not be right now, but I'll ask you a month from now or two months from now or even a year from now. But at the same time, I'm going to try to ask and talk to people in my city, whether it's college city, my hometown city, or my professional city. And honestly, you want to choose all three of those cities and try to seek out and try to take people out who you wouldn't mind trading places with. Like, I want to take you out to eat. I want to sit down. I want to talk to you. Like, this is my situation, you know, stuff like that. I just want to pick your brain. Like, I will pay for for our meal, to for, you know, for me to ask you questions. And, and then most of the time, most of the people like that, they'll take a liking on you, and they'll, they'll probably pay for the meal, you know what I mean? Like, and they'll start doing things for you to help you out. So, but those are those are unique ways. But the biggest thing that most of the guys that, you know, they grew up in the hood and in the city, is we get called up and we think that, oh, I can do it myself. That's that's dumb. No, like, there's other people that messed up, learn from their lessons, so you don't have to blow your money like that. Save your money, you know, retain your money. So Because when you get done playing, that money's going to be very valuable because a lot of guys right now who, if they could do things a little bit differently, they would have they would have researched and they would have reached out to certain people and they would have made sure that they could have did better by, by their money. But... I guess if that answers your question. But I was say, question. Yeah, but how do they, like, how you saying with your game, like, how do you avoid getting played? Because some people, you be finding mentors and they be the one, wrong ones. So how do you, how I guess, how can they find the ones with the character? You know what I'm saying? Because some people, be, ain't, everybody ain't good mentors, I guess. So how do you find the the, the good-hearted <laughs> ones? Okay, all right. So, like, even in my book, I break down the period, like I say, this is weird. Like I said, like, I have the platinum mentor, I have the gold, I have the silver, and the helium. A helium mentor is somebody who is maybe, it could be a family member, it could be somebody who is posing as a mentor, posing as someone who's giving you advice, but they're really trying to, they're really trying to put some money into their pocket. And so, uh, something like that. And so, in general, like, I even had some family members that who meant well, but they really didn't know what they were doing. And so that's kind of how I blew some money in my book. I, I explained a story, you know, about, like, dealing with um, dealing with somebody who I looked at as being, like, my father figure. And, you know, he meant well. He just didn't know well. He, he just didn't know what to really do in, in certain situations. But for that, though, really, it's, it just takes time. So what you got to do is you got to look at it and evaluate and say, okay, if this mentor, if he's posing as a mentor, has he had anything established? Does people, do people, like, Trust him. Do people, you know, um, has he had any bad history as far as getting over on people? 
And so all all that stuff comes with time. And so you know that's so you so you just you kinda you kinda gotta watch that because a true a true mentor is someone that who doesn't need your money. Like I said again, they don't need your money. Uh-huh. They wanna help you make money and they will you know, and they will put and they they will say, you know what, I'm coming to this deal, I'm putting money into this deal, we'll sign a paperwork and then we'll go from there. Those are true mentors. You know what I'm saying? True mentors don't need your money. They don't need anything from you. All they want to do is see you do well. Those are the right mentors that that, that, that you need in your life. And you know, sometimes it, it it takes time. I mean, you know, you could you could possibly go out and seek out the mentor, or the mentor just may find you because you know the way you're doing things and you know all the stuff they hear about you. So it works both ways. You just know. So you just gotta be willing to put yourself out there. That's it. All right. What would you like to say to your fans, people that have been supporting you throughout your NFL career and what you're doing right now? Oh, man. I mean, who, who's been supporting me? I, I, would, I just want to say thank you. And, you know, I'm just trying to do the best I can. And if I'm not doing anything right, please let me know. Hit me on Facebook, Twitter, and say, Phil, you know, do this or do that. Or just, I mean, I love constructive feedback. You know, I'm not perfect. But like I said, I, I love giving back, and the, the part of me giving back, I got that from my mom, I got that from my uncle who died, you know, you know selling drugs, stuff like that. So I, I got that from him and, and my grandmother. So I guess that's kind of where I get the whole idea of just sharing my story in the book, sharing the, sharing the board games so they can learn from it. And I just like giving advice. I mean, so if people want to know something, just feel free to reach out to me. And like I said, anybody supporting me, I thank them, and please keep supporting me the best way you can so I can keep trying to um, put this knowledge out there, this knowledge and wisdom. And how can they hit you up? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Popolitikin.com Since 2008, there has been one website, www.popolitikin.com On top of the music business, behind the scenes, and on the front line. Chris Porter, a.k.a. Paul Politikin. Mr. Porter has worked with everybody. Universal Motown Records, Young Money, Rockefeller Records, and more. Paul Politikin is a conscious brand that aligns with artists, businesses, and brands to get more exposure. What are you waiting for? It's time to open your mind to the other side of the music business. Log on to www.popolitikin.com That's www.popolitikin.com Call 760-717-5803 for your interview. That number again is 760-717-5803.